Hello, I'm delighted to have your company. Thanks for tuning in. Did you know there's a prophet in the Bible who was given a vision of God? You'll hear about him from your Bible teacher, Brian Johnston, here on Search for Truth today. This is your 50-minute program of hymns and Bible study. The prophet was Ezekiel, and you'll find his book of that name in the Old Testament of your Bible. Brian's taking us through a 12-week series of Bible talks about getting a better personal awareness of God. And he challenges us in this talk to ask ourselves if there is anything which might stand in our way of getting to know God. But first, Brian will introduce us to Ezekiel. Thanks, John. Ezekiel was Jeremiah's contemporary. Although born into a priestly family, Ezekiel was denied temple service just when he should have been graduating into a full role in it. For in 597 BC, he, together with the royalty, the nobles, and many of the leading priests and craftsmen, they were all transported 700 miles away to Babylon. And there, on the banks of the Kebar River, the Jewish exiles tried to settle. And here, when Ezekiel was 30 years old, and in the fifth year of his exile, which was still six years before the destruction of Jerusalem, Ezekiel the prophet received an extraordinary vision. Ezekiel's vision of God reveals something of the character of God. Ezekiel saw God seated on a mobile throne and seated high above him. He's the king of kings, the sovereign ruler of the universe. Let's recall again that vivid experience with which this book of Ezekiel opens. There's a great cloud with fire flashing intermittently and a bright light around it, and in its midst something like gleaming metal in the midst of the fire. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord, Ezekiel chapter 1. Another aspect of God's character that's at least indicated in that vision is the holiness of God. Ezekiel doesn't describe God's holiness as much as he brings it out in the powerful symbols he uses. He describes God as surrounded by flashing lightning and bright light. He looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, and brilliant light surrounded him. All this shows not only the God who is glorious in holiness, but with it, as events unfolded, also his judgment and wrath. Now Packer, whose classic book Knowing God we've already referred to, Packer says about the subject of God's wrath, the modern habit is to play the subject down. And that's true even in modern sermons. It's been a long, long time since Jonathan Edwards preached his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. The relevance of recalling this is simply this. God will later tell Ezekiel that his wrath must be poured out. God's wrath is nothing like uncontrollable anger. God insists that once his judgment has been meted out, his wrath will then subside and his anger will cease. The outbreak of wrath under discussion is, of course, the taking of the Jewish people into captivity. In those declining times in which Ezekiel lived, Ezekiel's call was characterised by three things. First, it was a call to see God and to be humbled. It began with what may have been an actual dust storm, but it quickly turns into something supernatural. 
for Ezekiel soon sees something like glowing metal. Then we have described for us four living creatures who turn out to support a platform of God's throne. In any time when the whole culture is moving in other directions, it's essential that those who proclaim the word of God have their eyes so fastened on what God is like in all his transcendent glory. Second, for Ezekiel, it's a call to speak God's words and to be fearless. He's to stay on message and not to fudge anything. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, he's told. Again, in chapter 2, verse 6, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of what they say or be terrified by them. You see, preachers can be intimidated by their audience and by society's pressure to be politically correct. Preachers don't normally like to get bad reviews. Preaching in declining times takes special courage, unlike in revival times when it's a joy to go out and preach. When the culture is against you, it takes boldness and resilience. Perhaps I can mention here that in contrast to God's awesome glory, Ezekiel is addressed as son of man. It's a phrase that's used about 93 times in the book. Why? Because it brings out the contrast between a creature and the creator, between God's eternal character and the brevity of a human lifespan on earth. When we've a true vision of God, and see him in his glory, we can't help but realise that God is so awesome and we're essentially dust and can't stand before him. We've already observed the contrast Ezekiel paints between the splendour of God and the ruin of humanity. Here's another contrast between the transcendent God and the life of humans on earth as something transitory or fleeting. Then there's also a third reason why we need our eyes fixed on God in a declining culture. For those of us in the Western world today, where most of the people around us had inherited a Judeo-Christian worldview, it used to be that we could assume everyone already knew the basics, that the God we preached was a personal, transcendent being, the intelligent designer of the universe, that there's a difference between right and wrong, between truth and error, with God as the final judge, and that all sin is finally against God, with a heaven to be gained and a hell to be shunned. But we can no longer assume that people know these things in this declining culture. After the vision Ezekiel gets, what happens next is interesting. God commands Ezekiel to open his mouth and he'll give him something to eat. It's a scroll, in fact which is described as containing written lamentations, mourning and woe. In any case, it doesn't sound very appetising, does it? And yet, when Ezekiel eats it, it tastes sweet as honey in his mouth. That's a shocker. How surprising. How can we relate to this? Well, when we come to bits of the Bible about judgment and doom, we may find ourselves wanting to skip over them because we'd much rather find our favourite comforting verses. Preachers more and more tend to avoid speaking about such unpleasant things as God's wrath. But Jeremiah and the Apostle John were others 
who literally had a taste for God's word. We need preachers who've been with God and known him in his holiness so that for them it's a sweet thing to do his will even when it means delivering a message of judgment. And so it's a message of judgment that Ezekiel has to bring to the people of God in his day. A people in decline, remember. A people rebelling against the knowledge of God. There was no longer any fear of God in their eyes. For to fear the Lord and to have understanding is the practical aspect of what knowledge of the Holy One brings. Author J.I. Packer says, I walked in the sunshine with a scholar who had effectively forfeited his prospects of academic advancement by clashing with church dignitaries over the gospel of grace. But it doesn't matter, he said at length, for I've known God and they haven't. The remark was a passing comment on something I had said, but it has stuck with me. It stuck with me too. And we focused on the book of the prophet Ezekiel simply because knowing God is the basic theme of this book. We say again that the phrase, they or you shall know that I am the Lord, is used between 60 and 70 times in this book of Ezekiel. As we've said, the book opens with Ezekiel himself getting a view of God. But in Ezekiel's time, the people's view of God had been obscured by other things. As we read, and the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and have put in front of their faces the stumbling block of their wrongdoing. For everyone of the house of Israel, or of the strangers who reside in Israel, who deserts me, sets up his idols in his heart, puts in front of his face the stumbling block of his wrongdoing. That's Ezekiel 14, verses 2 to 7. You see, they literally couldn't see past their idols, the things of their own making. To set up idols in the heart, was to separate oneself from the living God. And let's be aware that the New Testament of our Bibles plainly says that greed is idolatry or amounts to it, Colossians 3.5. Of course, our governments want us all to be consumers so as to make the economy work. We're constantly encouraged to want more. How many adverts have you seen that tempt you to desire more tasty food, more carefree holidays, more health care and beauty products. Our secret idol is comfort and physical well-being. We attend church services, but rarely do we pray in private or thoughtfully read the word of God. Deep down, we are more interested in basking in the sun than we are in basking in the awesome radiance of God's presence. The Apostle Paul appeals to all Christians down through the centuries to arrive at the same thinking he'd arrived at, namely, that knowing Christ is the one thing of surpassing value in this life, Philippians 3.8. The nation of Israel will one day share the revised view of Saul of Tarsus. One translation of Hosea 14 and verse 8 is this, Ephraim shall say, What have I to do any more with idols? I have heard and observed him. This is Israel in the future, when even the idols of her own righteousness and of her own clinging to the traditions of her elders will be left behind, and Israel will be altogether taken up with her Messiah and the Word of God. No more idols of the heart. 
then they will know him. Thanks again, Brian, for your talk today. I found it very challenging, and I hope you did too as you listened along. If you have any questions or comments, do write in because Brian will be pleased to correspond with you. And I'll remind you, again, if I may, there's a transcript book available of the 12 study talks in this series. So why not send for it? Then you'll be able to get more out of these radio talks. Just write in and ask for the title, A Greater Sense of God. You can use email or the post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wooten Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. It's been great to enjoy your company again today. Thank you, and do join us again next week for our next talk about a greater sense of God. Till we see you next time, it's goodbye and very best wishes from Brian, from David and me, John. See you again soon and in the meantime, we wish you God's richest blessings. Ta-da!